You're listening to Brave Girls with Tracy M, where we choose to empower you to be a better leader, mentor, and coach in the world. We'll share stories of people who have achieved great heights by overcoming adversity and rising to the challenge, all while pursuing their passions. These courageous people will inspire you to have faith in yourself and take bold action. Right here with the host of Brave Girls, Tracy M. Episode 74, Generation Hope with Nicole Lynn Lewis. Today's podcast guest, Nicole Lynn Lewis, is truly a brave girl living her purpose where she's reducing poverty one family at a time. In 2003, Nicole graduated from the College of William and Mary as a teen mother who had overcome homelessness and a drug-infested environment to achieve the impossible. She's a nationally known author and speaker on topics such as teen pregnancy and parenting, youth development, goal achievement, and self-empowerment. After several years in the workforce, honing her skills in communications and nonprofit management and learning about the needs of teen parents across the country, Nicole founded Generation Hope in Washington, D.C. in 2010. The 501c3 provides mentoring, resources, and services to teen parents to become college graduates and help their children enter kindergarten at higher levels of school readiness. It's truly a two-generation solution to poverty. Named a CNN hero in 2014, Nicole has used her skills in social entrepreneurship to launch this organization that is making a real difference. Fewer than 2% of teen mothers earn a college degree before age 30, but since 2010, Generation Hope has helped almost 200 teen parents in college, provided more than 600,000 in tuition assistance, and celebrated 76 college degrees. Their scholar's graduation rate is almost double the graduation rate of low-income college students and almost nine times the graduation rate of single mothers nationwide. All of their 2018 graduates were living above the poverty line within six months of graduation. 92% were employed full-time and 30% were enrolled in graduate school. This is quite a legacy to say the least. I know that you'll enjoy hearing from Nicole about her work leading Generation Hope and how connected she is to the teen parents that she serves. I encourage you to check out her organization and consider how you can support her work, either as a volunteer, a donor, or by bringing the program to a college near you. So let's go and find out how Nicole Lynn Lewis is leading Generation Hope. So welcome to the Brave Girls with Tracy M podcast tonight. I'm super excited. I'm interviewing Nicole Lynn Lewis, who is the founder and CEO of Generation Hope, which is based in Washington, D.C., on the line with us. Um, and she, this is something that she founded back in March of 2010. Um, and I'm really super excited for her to tell us all about um, the mission of the organization and um, what the genesis was. Uh, story. And so welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Generation Hope and tell us a little bit about the whole backstory. 
Yeah, so uh, as you said, we're a nonprofit organization. We're located in DC, but we actually serve the entire DC metro area. So DC, Maryland, and Virginia. Um, and uh, I started the organization because I live the mission. I am um, a nonprofit leader who gets to advocate on behalf of um, folks who I understand kind of what they have gone through, what they're going through, the challenges. Um, and I consider that a real honor and a privilege. So I was. Uh, a high school senior when I found out that I was pregnant and I had just been accepted into various colleges. I had acceptance letters in my room. Um, I was a really strong student, honor roll student. And uh, even though I was on the college track when I did become pregnant, people just told me your life is over. You're not gonna achieve anything. You're not gonna be successful. And certainly college was not in the cards for me anymore. And I um, just remember feeling like now more than ever, I needed my college degree because I was gonna be a mom. I had this little one I was gonna need to take care of. And um, it was so vitally important. I think probably more important than it had ever been um, in my opinion to get my college degree. And so, I took a year off, I had my daughter, I graduated from high school, I was in a really tumultuous relationship with her father um, and ended up leaving home. I was homeless for a, a period of time, uh, sometimes didn't have food to eat, you know, did not, my life did not say college at all. Uh, but in the midst of all of that, I reopened my college applications. And when my daughter was three months old, I started at the College of William & Mary in Virginia. And I always tell people, I looked down at my feet and thought, these feet don't belong on this campus. <laughs> you know, I was an anomaly. I was surrounded by uh, uh, young people who had a ton of resources, a ton of support, did not have the same responsibilities I had. Um, I was a mom. I didn't know where my book or my tuition money was coming from. And I really did not know if it was something that I was actually going to be able to achieve. Uh, but I thought, let me put one foot in front of the other and see where it takes takes me and that's what I did and um, over the next four years uh, you know had my daughter in tow while I was working towards my degree I was a full-time student I was um, you know left my daughter's father the summer of my freshman year so I was a single mom um, and you know having to adjust to being a new college student and being a new mom at the same time and really not having resources um, making tough decisions between diapers and textbooks and you know staying up with a teething baby and having a final exam the next day it was it was really tough emotionally it was tough uh, financially but I graduated in four years um, with high honors and my daughter walked across the graduation stage and it was just an incredible feeling of achieving something you know that people tell you is impossible that you're never going to achieve and I was really happy and excited in that moment but I was also a little bit sad because I knew that my story didn't have to be rare that that other young parents could do this same thing if they had the resources and support. So I moved up to the DC area. I started working. Um, I was doing PR uh, for a major insurance company. I was working on my master's degree. Parents in college. And I, um, I decided to, you know, look for volunteering opportunities and none existed. There just weren't uh, organizations doing this work. And um, there's a statistic that just fueled my fire that less than 2% of teen moms get a degree before age 30. And um, I just thought that's unacceptable, you know? And so I uh, started Generation Hope really, you know, from ground zero to address a, a gap in the way that we serve um, young people in our communities. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Were you also a first generation college person in your family as well? I was not actually. Oh, you both weren't. Parents, okay. Yeah, both my parents um, are college graduates. In fact, I tell folks when I became pregnant, my sister was in grad school at Yale. My dad was getting, my dad was a college administrator at George Washington University, and my mom was getting her MFA from Old Dominion <laughs> University. So um, we are very education focused. Um, and that was something I knew from a young age that I was going to go to college. Right, right. Which that actually, um, being in that environment, probably created even more of a stigma or you know, kind of a, a awkward situation maybe when you decided I'm just going to with your daughter and tell, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think no matter, you know, who you are as a young person, when you become pregnant, um, you know, whether you're on the college track or not, and in many cases, um, young people who are experiencing a pregnancy, you know, people stop talking to you about going to college, or you were in an environment that, you know, people weren't talking to you about college to begin with. But that stigma and that, that kind of, you know, where people ostracize you because of your pregnancy, it's very real. And it's, um, you know, something that I experience firsthand and the young people that I get to work with every day, they definitely have shared stories that are really, you know, hard to hear in terms of how they were treated when they discovered their pregnancy or when they shared the fact that they were pregnant. So what, to, I, and you, so you did go on to earn your master's too, right? I did, yeah. I earned my master's um, in, in 2006 from George Mason University. And, uh, and yeah, I just kind of kept going and did that while I was a full-time, working full-time and a single mom. Mm -hmm. You have um, more children now though, right? Fast forward to kind of like where you are today, right? Yeah. Of your, of your nonprofit, right? <laughs> yeah, I have four children. Um, so my oldest daughter who I had right before starting undergrad is actually a junior in college. Um, yeah, so she's 20 and she's getting her degree at Towson University. And that's been just a really surreal experience, you know, just knowing what what I went through in college with her and, and now seeing her start her own kind of college career has been amazing. Um, but I also have a 10 year old daughter, a three year old son and another son who's 16 months. So it's busy here. <laughs> right, right. So how do people find out um, or like, how are you connected in the nonprofit world so that people find out about you when they need that resource that your nonprofit offers them? Yeah, so we have kind of um, a multifaceted outreach kind of uh, plan. One of the big ways is that we do a series of college readiness workshops out in the community for younger um, parents who, you know, maybe they're still in high school or maybe they've gotten their GED and they're out of high school or their diploma. They might be, you know, a couple years out and trying to figure out what their next steps are. We go to social service agencies, churches. Uh, we have partnerships with the school districts. We work with other nonprofits that are serving this population in a different way. So homeless shelters, you know, um, mm -hmm. Anywhere where we can find um, young parents who kind of maybe in that in-between phase or who are still in high school. And we reached two to 300 
uh, expecting or parenting students that way or young people that way. And um, that really puts them on our radar and we can tell them about our program and, you know, really plants the college seed. We've sometimes found that, you know, just telling a young parent that they can go to college, that that is an option for them, it makes a world of difference. You might be the only person who's really saying that to them. Um, so that's been one great way for us to, to, to you know, reach young parents. But we also have partnerships with the financial aid offices at all the different colleges. We work with guidance counselors. We work with other nonprofits um, that are serving this you know, group of folks in a different way. Uh, they might be provide, providing housing, for example, or um, mm -hmm. tangible kind of you know, um, uh, you know, items like high chairs and diapers and things like that. Um, we also work sometimes with the medical community uh, that might be seeing these young parents, you know, through their prenatal care or working with their little ones. So we, we kind of try to go wherever they are and we try to work with a lot of different community partners to get the word out. Do you feel like um, over the last decade or so that some of the gaps that you were experiencing when you were going through your, your you know, single momhood college experience, um, do you feel like some of those gaps are starting to get closed or there's still big gaps for people? Yeah, so I think that there's, I would say there's still gaps for sure. And I think there's, what I will say is I think there's more awareness. Um, mm -hmm. When I started Generation Hope, people were not really talking about parents in college. Um, you know, I think now fast forward, people are starting to talk about the non-traditional student, you know, the non-traditional college student, you know, being the most uh, prevalent student in higher education. And that being, you know, students who are working and parenting and um, who are low income, um, first gen students, like you were mentioning. So I think now people are talking about the fact that more and more, you know, the folks who are in college are, they don't fit the traditional mold or the mold that I think um, higher ed has focused on for a long mm -hmm. time. And so that's been really encouraging. Now we're seeing data um, coming out that's really talking about just how many parenting college students there are. And it's about one in five college students are parenting. Um, about 22% of all undergraduate students are parenting across the country. So it's a significant number. And when I started Generation Hope, people just were not talking about that. They weren't measuring that. They weren't you know, looking at that data or collecting that data. So I'm really encouraged by the fact that I think uh, the conversations are happening more and more. Now I think there's a, you know, you have to go beyond just talking about it. And so that's where I think that we have a lot of work to do, um, both in the community and on college campuses when it comes to really supporting, um, you know, parenting college students and making sure that they have uh, the resources that they need to succeed. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's what I was thinking in terms of, well, I think there's also been a shift at least if you go back 20 years in higher education and the revenue streams and the way that um, colleges were able to attract students or like you, you said, even like push, push away a certain demographic. Um, and, and now um, there's so much more competition for um, those students um, to come to a traditional four-year college, maybe in a more traditional way that maybe 50 years ago was how undergraduate really kind of worked. And even like, 
the role of like community colleges now before somebody even goes to a four-year school and that that has now become more of a path. So in some ways, it's kind of a good thing that, that they have been forced to rethink how people get a college degree, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think the higher ed community, as you said, is really having to look at a lot of different things. I think they're having to look at um, uh, the kind of traditional ways that they've delivered, um, you know, courses and education. I think they have to look at um, the assumptions that they've made for a long time about um, about how students are going to be able to succeed on their campus, what kind of students are coming to their campuses. I think community colleges are definitely you know, more forward thinking when it comes to this. Um, and at the same time, they're under-resourced. So, you know, I think there's there's a lot of work to do in terms of higher ed as, as a field, really um, uh, meeting students where they are. And, um, you know, for a long time, I think the expectation has been for students to kind of you know, make the changes that they need to make to, to adapt to higher ed. And I think the reality is higher ed really needs to make some adaptations to uh, today's students. And, and the reality is also that, you know, we need more college graduates. And, and in order for us to really be competitive as a country and as a nation, we have to figure this out. And so there's a lot of incentive, I think, for um, two and four year institutions to figure this out. Mm -hmm. What's your dream in terms of public policy changes that need to be made to make this all kind of work? Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of gaps there too. Absolutely. I think, you know, one thing that we've been involved in, we just were uh, participated in our first kind of Capitol Hill briefing a couple months ago um, on a GAO report on a, a program called the C Campus Program, which, which is a program that, a federal program that provides um, funding for colleges and universities to uh, create child care centers on their campuses for low-income parenting students. And um, it's really, you know, a wonderful program. They've seen that it really does help with parenting students making it to the finish line, which, you know, intuitively, you know, you would you would assume that, right? If you're able to provide childcare, that's one of the biggest hurdles for parents in college. Um, but that program is only serving, it's serving less than 1% of, of parenting students that should be eligible for it across the country. Uh, so I think for sure we need more childcare solutions for parenting students. You know, every day with the students that we work with at Generation Hope, childcare is, is a huge hurdle and we're helping them, you know, think through the local supports, the campus supports and our supports um, to figure out how to make it all work. And it, it's really exhausting, it's really difficult. Um, sometimes you'll have a childcare uh, solution that falls through at the last minute and, and how does that affect your ability to go, go to class? You know, if you don't have someone to be able to watch your, your little one, how do you go to class? How do you succeed? So I think for sure, you know, we have to look at policies that at every level, state, federal, and local level, that make childcare um, easier for young people or, or, you know, people period who are parenting and in college, because um, it's a huge, it's a huge issue. And, and the reality is if we can provide that childcare for the short amount of time and they walk away with a college degree, you know, they are really well positioned to go out into the community and, and, you know, start pursuing those careers and those jobs that we need, you know, that we know we need these jobs filled out in the community. So it's really a win-win um, mm -hmm. 
for everybody. And so I think childcare is a huge, huge hurdle, um, is a federal policy that we're, you know, involved in advocating for um, and, and, you know, really believe in the importance of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there other people across the country that have um, set up these types of organizations? Like, like, do you have companion organizations in other cities or this is kind of like, you're like a pioneer, it seems like to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we have other organizations that are doing similar work, but not really exactly working with the population that we work with or doing it in the way that we do it. So um, there are some great organizations that are working with parenting students um, who of any age, for example, um, or they're focused on single mothers. Um, our program is open to both mothers and fathers. Um, some programs are uh, um, campus, you know, provided programs. Specific. So there's uh -huh. one college campus, whereas we're a community-based organization. Our students are at 20 different two and four-year schools across the region. Um, so we kind of have the, the flexibility to be able to work with them in different ways. So we have, we are part of um, a network of organizations that are working with parents and families, um, but no one that's doing it you know, the way that we're doing it and really focusing on teen parents. Um, and the other thing is that we, about um, a year ago, launched an early childhood program in addition to the program that we have for our scholars. We decided, you know, we really had their little ones engaged with us at this critical early childhood time. We know that the children of teen parents enter school at lower levels of school readiness. They're, they're not reading at the same rates as their peers. And so after listening to our families and um, looking at the research and the data, um, we looked at a lot of data coming out of the Aspen Institute on the importance of you know, whole family programs where you're not just serving a child or the parent, but you're serving both. And it became really clear to us that we needed to start providing some intentional supports for our scholars' children so that they could start kindergarten ready. Um, and, and that, I think, has also been something that sets us apart a bit in that, you know, we're, we're helping a teen parent get their college degree and simultaneously helping their child get ready for kindergarten. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, but that's amazing because it does make sense if the research is showing that they're not ready to be launched like other children of their age that maybe their parents have more resources or are better positioned to work with them or give them kind of that early edu childhood education that they get, you know, through whatever way, um, even just having the time to sit with them and teach them how to read, right? Right. That totally yeah, makes I mean sense. Yeah, something, a term that you'll hear sometimes when, when people are talking about student parents is time poverty, which is exactly what you're talking about, having the time to sit down, even to have a meal with your child, um, to read to your child, um, things that we often take for granted. Uh, you know, if you're working three jobs and going to college, which we have some students in our program who have had to do that, you know, where do you have, when do you have the time to be able to sit down and do these things that are really critical for your little ones? Um, and so how can we be helpful to our parents who are trying to juggle it all? And so we, through our new early childhood program, we're helping them to kind of figure out, given the fact that they're, you know, they have this limited time, how can they provide these resources? Um, and, you know, be able to really set their children up for success. So it's vital. It's really key um, for, you know, 
folks who just are trying to juggle so many different things and be the best parents that they can be. So do you get your um, funding through a variety of mechanisms and grants and foundations and partnerships? Is that kind of the funding model that you've established and getting organizations that might be like-minded or, um, you know, thinking of things like United Way has a way that you can donate to organizations like you as a nonprofit. Is that kind of the way that you're able to not only sustain your organization, but to grow your organization and, you know, cause you've created this unique model that maybe could get replicated. If, if some, I'm just making this up, like some big foundation were able to say, wow, this is really, um, one of the things I saw in your bio that I thought was really um, interesting was, you know, there's other nonprofits out there that are dedicated to things around youth and poverty and, and things of that nature, but you're really all about this whole family approach to dismantling poverty. So that to me is very broad, right? right? But I could see particular organizations or foundations being attracted to that as they're trying yeah. to find these, fill these critical roles that people need to have the education, if that could become then a pipeline for them to, to close a gap for their, their organization. Yeah, absolutely. So we fundraise with a kind of varied portfolio, varied way of making, you know, making this program possible. So we definitely work with foundations, as you said, that are trying to figure this out. You know, they're, they're working on poverty, they're working on education, they're working on family issues. How do we strengthen families? How do we strengthen communities? Um, so foundations have been a really wonderful source of support. We have um, individuals who uh, donate anywhere from $25 to, you know, larger gifts that make our our work possible. Um, So individuals are definitely another source for us. Um, We get only about two to 3% in government funding, and that's been really intentional um, Mm -hmm. in terms of making sure that we, you know, there's so much government uh, reporting when it comes to having government grants and we want to make sure we have the capacity to kind of uh, report and and provide the um, you know the 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 capacity to work with government agencies on 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 executing a grant. So we've been conservative in that way. Um, we also do uh, two big fundraising events each year. We have what we call a pancake battle um, mm-hmm. in in the fall, which is really a family friendly event um, uh, and. And it allows people to come out with their um, their families, their loved ones, and really enjoy brunch with local celebrity chefs kind of making pancakes. And it's really fun. Um, and we wanted an event that was a fundraiser, but that also really was about family. So that's our, our kind of family event in the fall. And then we have a big gala in June every year um, that attracts about 600 or so people uh, from, from all over the DC region. And it's our goal, you know, we tell people all the time, being in Washington, D.C., we are a city of galas. And so there's a gala every <laughs> night. Um, but we really try to have our attendees be inspired and, and really walk away understanding the importance of our mission and the impact of our mission. Um, so our students, all of our students are at the gala. We um, have them really be an active part of the evening. And so that's in June every year. So fundraising events are also another way. Um, and we also partner with 
companies and corporations. We um, work with with uh, businesses that are interested in these same issues. You know, how do we strengthen our communities? How do we prepare young people for the workforce, including young parents? Um, and uh, and and so that's been great. And we're rolling out this year new um, career readiness programming that is really about helping our students get ready for the workforce, creating some real pipelines of opportunities for them for employment and internships, and also working with uh, companies that are trying to figure out how to recruit a more diverse workforce. So we're really excited about that. Wow. You've created a lot in a very short period of time, Miss Nicole. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is amazing. Really, you know, um, you're, you're very inspiring to, you know, I just can't even imagine I just can't even imagine what you've been through. Yeah, you know, I I was just telling someone earlier, and I, I think you and I were, were talking about this, it's like when you're in the midst of a storm, you know, you're not really sure why you're going through what you're going through. And I definitely felt like that many a times in college where, um, you know, the heat wasn't on or trying to figure out how to provide food, you know, for my daughter or whatever it might be. and. It, you know, those are the moments where you question, like, why am I dealing with this and why am I going through it? And, um, you know, once I started Generation Hope and really got into the groove, it became pretty clear to me why I had gone through what I had gone through. And it was about understanding um, why this work is so important and really creating an organization that had that lived experience at the core of what we do. I think sometimes um, the people who lead organizations are disconnected. Um, from the issues, they're disconnected from the people they're serving. And I'm really thankful. I think it's been um, an asset to me to really be able to have started this organization from an authentic place of, of walking in the shoes of, of, of the students that we serve. So I'm really thankful for it. How many people do you have data on like how many, how many people have come through your programs over the years? Yeah, so we've served nearly 200 um, teen parents in college. Uh, we have celebrated 76 college degrees. We have um, pretty impressive uh, kind of metrics on um, and how we know our work is actually, you know, meeting our goals. Uh, we have a 92% retention rate um, from year to year. So our students are staying in college and in our program at 92%. Uh, we have um, a about 62% uh, a college attainment, a college degree attainment within six years, which is higher than the national average for any student, regardless yeah. of their parenting. Um, right. and, uh, and we're almost eight times the national rate for single mothers in college. So the model works. It's, it's really about relationship building. It's about um, being student-centered. It's about, as I said, really coming from an authentic place with our programming and making sure that it's, it's led and adapted based on you know, um, the experiences of our families. And so uh, we're really proud of, of what we've been able to achieve. Yeah, I mean, amen. I mean, that is amazing. Um, amazing. Amazing. I, I just, um, so, so where, where, what's your next big wish for, for what you would like to see? Like what would really take your generation hope to the next level from your perspective yeah. to be able to yeah. impact more people? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one thing that we're really excited about and we're working on um, uh, launching over the next year is, you know, to your point, we serve 100 teen parents uh, in the DC metro region. There are thousands that are in our region that we are not serving. There are, you know, millions across the country. And so, you know, we, we are looking at our ability to influence really systems change. And, and so while we may not be able to directly work with every teen parent in college, is there an opportunity for us to influence the systems that those young people are interacting with? And so, you know, we've amassed about 10 years of best practices in doing this work. And, and again, we know our model works in terms of supporting this population and helping them attain degrees. And so we have this opportunity, I think, to be a thought partner for colleges and universities across the country um, in figuring out how to uh, create this space, this type of space and this, um, this culture of success for their student parents on their campuses um, and, and really being a thought partner in that work. So taking the best practices that we have and, you know, understanding that every college and university is different and they all mm -hmm. are going to, you know, the way that we roll out this work at one uh, college is going to be different than another and making, making sure it kind of meets their values and their culture and is very much about how they want to do this work but really being able to walk alongside of them and, and try to figure out um, how to, to set this population up for success. So we're gonna be creating a program, um, a technical assistance program, a curriculum that we'll be able to uh, work with colleges and universities on across the country. And, and so we're really excited about that because that is exactly what you said. It's allowing us to impact you know, so many more young parents and parenting students of all ages um, by influencing, you know, institutional change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's sort of um, because then it can get replicated, but tweaked or modified at the local level. Yeah. Your core, your core tenants of the, of the, of the processes that you've used and created um, are work are clearly working and you've proved them out over time. So that's really good. I, I just, I ask these questions because people are listening to this and you don't know who's listening to this that um, might be able to, you know, reach back out to you and, and, and offer some sort of way that this could, you know, get leveraged. Yeah, and absolutely. Stay, and scale. Um, it's almost like it was a hidden population or a hidden, hidden group of, of um, people, women and men that were just um, kind of falling through the cracks. Yeah, yeah. I, often I call this population the invisible students. That yeah, that's what I was. That's the word I was looking for. Invisible. Yeah, yeah right. absolutely. Because they are there, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but but people are not. You know, they're not necessarily aware that they're there. And then and you know, we colleges, universities by and large are not collecting data on parenting status of their students. So it's hard to know, um, you know, unless a student discloses that they have a child, it's hard to know that that you have parenting students on your campus, but they're obviously there. They're 22% of all undergrads. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. They, they are really invisible students on college campuses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so my finale question is always, what's the bravest thing that you've done and how does it inspire you today? And you've done a lot of brave things. So let me just Aww. say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of harebrained uh, things. Um, you know, I think probably the, 
the decision to go to college with my daughter. You know, I often think about if I hadn't decided to do that, how different my life would look right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, going to college is is transformational. It's life-changing in so many ways, um, particularly if you're um, if you are not fitting the mold of the traditional college student, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, unfortunately, you know, we just don't encourage young women um, or men who are about to have a child to keep going. We we often kind of prescribe what their destiny is. We tell them what their potential is and what it's not. Um, and it is so, uh, you know, sad to see. And I think we lose out on so many incredible, you know, um, uh, people who could really just be so impactful to our community. And so, yeah, in the moment, I think I was just so motivated by my daughter. And um, I think that's something that you'll see with all of our students is just this incredible drive and determination to be successful so that your child can have a great life. And so in that moment, that's what it was about for me. It was, it, it didn't really feel brave. It felt more about me just like whatever I needed to do to make sure my daughter had the life that I wanted her to have. Um, but looking back, I, I definitely think that that was a big decision and it, and it changed my life. It changed her life. And it definitely brought me to the work that I'm like so honored and privileged to do today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're making a true impact. Um, the fact that 200 families have come through your programs and that 76 degrees have been awarded and that your folks are, you know, completing within six years. I mean, I agree. I, I've taught college and people are on the five and six year plan. That's just the way it is today. And the way that, yeah. the, the, that, that that's not unusual to take that long to get a degree, even if you don't have a kid. And so right. for yours to, to do that, um, I think is it, it speaks volumes to the, the, the support system that Generation Hope has now created that allows those um, individuals to walk across that stage. And right then be able to walk into full-time employment in a better job than they would have gotten if they hadn't had that piece of paper. Um, and so then they're, they're positioning them and their families for long-term success. Um, and, and they're showing their children, you know, what tenacity will do and fortitude in the, in the, and just, you know, having that belief in yourself and going for that degree to then get that better employment down the road. So, I just, I'm really honored that you were on the show and I'm, I'm really excited that your nonprofit um, has, has gone close to a decade now um, and that you have the statistics that um, can then be used as you become this thought partner to other colleges across the country um, so that you can influence these systems. Because I think mm-hmm. that really is going to be where your legacy is going to be as a brave girl. And um, so I salute you, Nicole. I think oh, um, you. I really do. I mean, you have found your mission and, you know, your message is from your mess and your wound and the things that happened to you. And you've been able to turn that into um, a, this ripple effect of influence in that um, I'm hoping people are listening to this that can then, you know, go to their local college and say, hey, we need to look at this invisible population that um, doesn't need to fall through the cracks. There's no reason. Yeah, 
Absolutely. You know? Um, they just need the support system and the, and the resources and, and, the, and the practices that you've been able to figure out that will then provide that support net for that six years to get them through that transition. Absolutely. I would love that. And I, I hope people do think about how, you know, what can they do in their own communities? And, and there are young parents in their communities and every community, you know, um, across this country and communities across the globe. And, and, you know, I hope people will think about ways that they can be a support, um, ways that they can encourage and inspire uh, those young people to keep going. Um, and, and that would be amazing. Yes, yes. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Brave Girls with Tracy M as much as I did creating it. Each show is produced with you, the listener, in mind as you look for inspiration and motivation from other brave souls as you pursue your desires. I'd love to hear your feedback, so please leave me a review on iTunes. I read every one. And check out my website, tracym.com, for more free resources. You can also join my list and sign up for my newsletter right from the homepage. Until next time, stay strong, believe in your dreams, and go do something brave. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Brave Girls with Tracy M and hope that you enjoyed the show. For more information about today's episode, as well as additional free resources to help you achieve greatness in your life, visit tracym.com and sign up for our mailing list. Until next time, dream big, believe in yourself, and let your brilliance shine as only you can do.